Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Matt Myers. And along with me today is Mark Feinsand, MLB.com national reporter. You're probably wondering where Mike Petriello is. Well, Mike has a very sore throat, and we did not want to subject you to that or him to that, frankly. So instead, I will be running the show today, and I will have Mark as my guest. It is perhaps fortuitous that we get to have Mark as our guest today because the trade deadline is what now, I guess, like 10 days away. And Mark. 11, though, nobody's counting. (laughs) (laughs) And Mark is our expert on all things trade deadline. Basically, what we're going to do, it's going to be a different format than what we usually do, is we're going to basically, we're going to run through the sellers, we're going to run through the buyers, so that'll be everyone from the the seller side, White Sox, Nationals, Royals, Rockies, the buyers, which would be, you know, the Orioles, the Rays, and then, you know, the bubble teams, Cardinals, Padres, Mets, you name it. We're going to try and cover as many teams as we can, as many big players, and um, until Mark just gets tired of talking to me. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm good, Matt. It was great to see you in person at the All-Star Game. It was a nice week in Seattle, and now we're uh, we're firmly into trade deadline crazy season, and uh, I'm looking forward to a, an exciting 10 or 11 days here. So am I. So let's get to it. Obviously, before we get to any buyers, sellers, whatever, we have to start with the biggest topic, which is Shohei Otani. And a week ago, it looked like, hey, maybe this guy's going to get traded. And then, of course, the Angels swept the Yankees, and... Now it's looking less certain that that might happen. As we record now on Friday afternoon, where do you think this stands? I would put this firmly in the undecided category. I think the the sweep of the Yankees certainly gave the Angels some some hope that there was a, a corner turned here in the absence of Mike Trout. Uh, you know, as we sit here recording, they're five games out of a wild card spot. They're a game over five hundred, um, and I think there's some some hope in Anaheim that maybe they can make a a run to the playoffs. You know, I think the Angels in their deepest of hearts probably know they're not re-signing Shohei Otani, but I think their best shot to re-sign him is getting to the playoffs and maybe winning a round of the playoffs and showing him, look, we can win here. We want you to stay and be the centerpiece along with Trout, and we're going to build around that. Um, You know, I've talked to a couple of executives who said they were sort of on the fence as to whether they thought the Angels would actually trade him and that they think Artie Moreno might actually be looking for reasons not to trade him. And obviously a good week here for the Angels would go a long way in helping that happen. That said, uh, their schedule is in a position where there's a really good chance they're going to have a good week um, this week and find themselves two, three games out of a wild card spot, um, which actually could end up sort of hurting them in the long run, believe it or not, because they have the Pirates uh, coming up uh, for three games. And then after that, I believe it's the Tigers. So like you can see them winning both those series and moving a little closer. But then you look at what they have in August once the deadline is over and it's a gauntlet. They start out with the Blue Jays, the Braves. Um, I think they've got the Rays in there, the Mariners, the Giants, the Astros, the Rangers, 
the Reds. So, I mean, they've got a brutal August schedule. Uh, I think the only team under 500 they have on their schedule the entire month is the Mets. Uh, and even going into New York, that's not an easy series. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what they do because from a baseball standpoint, I don't think there's any uh, real argument for the Angels keeping Otani because, yeah, you'll get a, a pick for him or a couple picks for him if he leaves as a free agent, but the haul they could get for him if they trade him is far bigger than that. So that, that's kind of where I want to go next, right? We've seen in the last few years the, the price for quote-unquote rentals, players who are going to be free agents, has gone down considerably than it was you know, 15, 20 years ago. Of course, the rules have changed. It used to be you could get a comp pick for a guy – you only had for half a season. Now the rules are you cannot get a qualifying offer, so therefore a team can't get a comp pick. So they're just they're valued a lot less, right? I'm trying to think of like the who was the biggest rental, like the biggest Machado rental Machado probably. I, yeah, Machado. That was what 2018 or 20, 2018. And yeah. it, it was like a poo poo platter of like five guys, but none of whom none of them were like amazing prospects, right? Correct. But Otani is obviously a different. It's a different thing, right? He he can be an ace. He can be your best hitter. So, do you think he could bring back like a top five prospect, top ten? Like, what what do you think could could be a potential package here? I've been fascinated by this for that exact reason, and I've asked a few people around the league, "What do you think he could reasonably bring back?" And they said four or five prospects, including two or three of a team's best five prospects. Because even though he's a rental, you're bringing in a guy who can be your game one starter and your cleanup hitter uh, in one player, in one trade. And being able to add two top-level players, one ace, one you know 50-home run hitter, um, if you're a team that thinks that you really have a chance to win the World Series, uh, you might be willing to go for it. Now, then you look at two different kinds of teams that could trade for him. You'd look at a team like, let's say, the Dodgers, even though there are plenty of reports out there that the Angels will not trade him to the Dodgers um, and say this is also an opportunity for that team to sell him on their culture, their team, their ballpark, their clubhouse, their facilities, be here for two months, show them what it's about, and try to get a leg up on signing him. Then you look at a smaller market team that might be in the mix, and two teams that I keep hearing, and one in particular is Tampa Bay, uh, You know, which does not seem like a team. Look, we know that when he gets to free agency – MLB.com has as much of a chance of signing Shohei Otani as the Tampa Bay Rays do, right? I mean, it's just not going to happen. But this is a situation where this takes prospects, doesn't take money. If you're willing to absorb that $10 million he's owed for the final two months and you're willing to give up the prospects to do it, you too can have Shohei Otani. Um, and the Rays have such a deep farm system, and they already have so many young players up in the big leagues who are blocking some of those prospects. The Rays could put together a prospect package for Otani in a second, and acquire him knowing that this is a pure two-month rental. We're not going to be in the mix for resigning him at the end of the year, but we think this is the guy that can help us get to the World Series. So as much as we've seen the rental market dip in recent years, this is a rental just like a free agent that we're going to talk about in November like we've never seen before. Now, one question I have for you is kind of more of a philosophical question from a GM, maybe team owner standpoint. Like if you're the Angels, isn't there something to the idea that if you trade him now, it almost also kind of – absolves you from having to deal with the should we or should we resign him the question i feel like for example with machado if machado hadn't been traded going into that offseason there would have been a lot of talk of like oh are the Orioles going to resign him like can they bring him back and then as soon as they traded him it was like well that's obvious like it was like it was no longer discussed whether or not the orioles would even consider resigning him and i almost feel like there's probably something the idea of where like angels maybe front office maybe not moreno 
would rather not even have to have any sort of pressure of like, oh, are we resigning this guy? Does that do you think that is part of the thought process at all in, in evaluating this? I have to think that the Angels have a very good idea of what it's going to take to sign Otani, right? They're there. They're the only team right now that's been able to talk to him about money, extensions, et cetera. So if they have some concept of what it's going to take and they know we're not going to pay that, it's going to be 10 years, 500, 10 years, 550, whatever it winds up being, um, then trade them. Because I understand what he means to them on the field and off the field and business-wise. And, you know, you watch any Angels games, there's all sorts of Japanese advertising behind the plate every game and uh, the outfield walls. And I'm sure that it would take a hit for them financially. But again, from a baseball standpoint, the the amount of prospect capital you could bring in in a trade for him, it's too overwhelming to ignore if you don't think you have a realistic chance to get to the postseason. So I think they already know whether or not they're going to be able to re-sign him or not. If you trade him, yeah, that certainly takes some of the expectation factor away. Um, but I just think at this point, I'd have to think that, you know, Paramanagian and, and, and Arnie Moreno and, and John Carpino and all the front office and the executives there, they know what it's going to take and they know whether they were going to be willing to, to go for it or not. And maybe they're thinking we're going to try to make them an offer to at least save face with the fans. Um, and as, as angry as fans might be if they trade him, because right now, especially with Trout Hurt, he's the reason people go to the ballpark. Um, but I think if you look at it from a purely baseball standpoint, you can sell it to your fans. Look, we brought in three or two or three top 100 prospects and all this young talent, and this is going to help us in the future. And I, you know, we, we know what it was going to take to sign him, and quite frankly, we weren't going to be going there. We are going to take a quick break and we will be back to talk about some of the teams most likely to sell at the trade deadline this year. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with Mark Feinsand. I am Matt Myers. Mark, I want to talk a little bit about the teams who are being the obvious sellers this year. I think there's a, there's a few teams that I think fall into this category. I would say the White Sox, Nationals, Royals, Rockies, and A's. Maybe the Tigers would be the next like of the, the, the teams that are selling. But I think the team that – I want to go through all of them to some extent. But I think the team that, that I find the most interesting in this conversation is the White Sox, right? They're – Arguably the, on the list of the most disappointing teams in baseball this year. And they have a couple of interesting players, but it's kind of hard to see where they exactly who has the most valuable and also get a sense of like what their actual mindset is as a, as a franchise. I feel like it's hard to know exactly what their direction is. Where do you see it going with them? I agree. They're a, a tricky team to try to predict because they just they haven't done this very often, even maybe in years where they should have. Um but you look at them, uh, you know, right now, what are they? They're 13 and a half games out of a wild card, nine games out in the division, and they're 16 games under 500. 
again, I keep using this phrase, but from a baseball standpoint, there is zero reason for them not to sell and sell big. And I, I think, you know, there are a couple of obvious players. I mean, Lucas Giolito is probably the number one most obvious trade candidate in the league this year. Um, you know, he's he's a free agent at the end of the year. He's owed maybe four, $4 million over the rest of the season. Um, and he's an impact kind of pitcher who can, uh, you know, go out there and, and really make a difference with the rotation. Uh, and there are several teams that are uh, that are certainly in need of some rotation help. So Giolito to me is really obvious. Um, you know, Lance Lynn has not had a great year. He's shown a few flashes here and there. He's got a club option next year that's going to be declined. Uh, so essentially he's an expiring contract as well. Um, you know, maybe a team takes a role on him. Yasmani Grandal is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, Joe Kelly is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez is a free agent at the end of the year. And then you've got a couple of other relievers. Kendall Graveman has one more year at $8 million on his contract. Um, you know, he's a guy, to me, the biggest question mark around the White Sox. If all those guys get traded, nothing would surprise me. The biggest question mark to me is, do they trade Dylan Cease? He's got two more years of arbitration. Young, controllable starters bring in huge returns at the deadline. So, it would not surprise me if they at least shop him around and see what they can get for him because of all the players on their roster, assuming that you're not trading Luis Robert, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a market for Tim Anderson based on the year he's having this year, at least to get anything significant back. Um, you know, to me, Cease is the one that brings in the biggest return. Maybe Michael Kopech is in that category as well. So is it going to be a situation where they trade the rentals? And maybe the guys with one-year control, or do they really uh, say, "All right, we're building around these three or four guys, and we're gonna and we're gonna trade everybody else we can and try to build for the future." Yeah, I feel like any other organization in their situation, I would be like, "Oh, Cease is on the table." But with the White Sox, it's hard to know. I'm I'm with you. He feels like a guy that you know a team, and we'll talk more about the Orioles later. He feels like a guy like a, a team like the Orioles that clearly could use a starting pitching upgrade. It's like, okay, this is an obvious guy where they might actually be more willing to trade more knowing that they're going to have him for a couple of years. I feel like the other sellers don't really have, there's not like another, like the, the, the other clear sellers that is like the exciting, the exciting name, right? Look at the nationals. Like I'm a kind of Larry, he'll probably get traded, but I feel like, you know, third baseman at the deadline, there's only going to be only a couple teams that want, need a player at that position. So the demand won't be that high, right? Lane Thomas is kind of interesting. He's got a, at least one more year of club control, but he's also 28 and not like a superstar. So I feel like maybe it, he could be someone. Is he, is he a name that's come up in your, in your conversations? He's a name that I've actually heard the nationals don't want to trade. Uh, you know, they like him. They like what he does in their clubhouse. They like, um, you know, the, the, the production that he gives them. And, uh, you know, I think, Candelario is absolutely um, a, a trade candidate. Thomas has two more years of control, so I think there's an idea that um, you know he's still pretty affordable and he's under control through 2025. So um, you know, beyond Candelario, I think you're looking at just some relievers, basically Carl Edwards Jr. I don't think there's much of a of a uh, a market for Dominic Smith, who has a lot of hits this year, but they all stop at first base. Um, you know, and Corey Dickerson's a free agent. Maybe he's a platoon. He seems to get traded every year at the deadline. Um, but, you know, Kyle Finnegan's got a couple years of control left. Maybe they look for somebody to, uh, you know, to deal him. Hunter Harvey's the same way. But, yeah, I agree. They don't have a lot um, 
to move. And I think with with some of the other sellers that you're talking about, you know, Kansas City already traded a role as Chapman. Scott Barlow is certainly getting a lot of interest. He's going to get moved. Um, and so there are a couple of relievers there maybe. But beyond that, not a whole lot. Detroit, Eduardo Rodriguez is probably going to get moved. And it's funny, they're the same distance from a wild card that the Angels are, but they're eight games under 500. So you sort of say, uh, I'm sorry, they're five games out of first place in their division because the division's so bad. Uh, but I don't think Scott Harris is going to be fooled into thinking that a team with a minus 77 run differential is a, a playoff contender. So Rodriguez probably gets moved. Maybe Michael Lorenzen. They're both, uh, you know, Lorenzen's a free agent. Rodriguez is going to opt out of his contract. Oakland has very little to move. We saw them already trade Fujinami to Baltimore. Uh, maybe Tony Kemp gets moved. Um, you know, maybe Brent Rooker, who's got some control. But again, he's 28. Uh, sort of had this breakout first half all-star season. Uh, after being with four organizations over the course of uh, of three years. To me, the other obvious seller that has some pieces to move, and uh, I will say Colorado has some pieces to move, although nothing real sexy. Um, but that said, you know, CJ Crone, free agent, going to get moved most likely. Um, Randall Gritchick, free agent, going to get moved most likely. Uh, they've got some relievers who are drawing a lot of interest. Brent Suter, um, Pierce Johnson, Brad Hand, uh, I think, you know, they could bring back some decent returns for those guys. So they're going to be active, but it's not like they're going to be trading uh, a big difference-making kind of guy. To me, the other team that is certainly in that category um, and has uh, some players is the Cardinals. And it's weird to talk about them as an obvious seller, but they are. I mean, John Mazzella came out the other night and said, we are going to be trading players. Now, we don't know if they're going to be trading players to the extent of, hey, Paul Goldschmidt's on the block or Nolan Arenado's on the block. Um but when you look at their team, you know, Jordan Montgomery's having a really nice season, free agent to be. Uh, Jack Flaherty, free agent to be. Jordan Hicks, free agent to be. Um, Dylan Carlson seems to be not in their plans. He's got three years of control left. He hasn't even entered arbitration yet. Uh, we've heard some smoke about them in the Yankees. Maybe he takes Harrison Bader's job again and goes and, and becomes the center fielder of the Yankees for the next three years. Um, Brendan Donovan has a lot of years of control left. But the Cardinals are trying to acquire some controllable pitching. If you're going to do that, you got to give something up. Brendan Donovan's a guy that a lot of people around the league really like, and the fact that he is controlled for the next four-plus years uh, I think is, is a nice selling point. So they're going to be a team, I think, that has a lot to move, and the question is just how much of it are they willing to. So you don't – I was actually going to talk about the Cardinals when we talked about bubble teams because you don't think there's any chance that they will reconsider after the six-game winning streak. If you look at if you look at fan graphs, they have them with – in a, a playoff odds, are, they're just a snapshot. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're set in stone. But they have them with an 11% a, a, a chance of reaching the playoffs, which is like, you know, it's not great, but it's not nothing. And, you know, they still have seven games left against the Brewers. They have six games left against the Reds. Neither of those teams is like a juggernaut that you feel like, oh, they, they can't be caught. Is there any chance? I mean, it's pretty funny because he did come out. It's, it's rare for a GM to come out on record, especially with a team like the Cardinals, and be like, yeah, we're selling. Do you think there's any chance they walk that back? Look, I'm not going to say no, no chance because that would be pretty arrogant and foolish of me. Uh, you know, if they win another six in a row and all of a sudden that eight and a half game spread you know, in the division or the seven, or was it their eight and a half to the wild card and 10 to the division, if they can chop that down to six in the division and four and a half in the wild card, sure, anything can happen. Um, I, I just think, you know, John Mazalak's been around for a long time. He knows how to sort of assess his team. And the fact that he came out and said what he said to me is a sign of him believing that this team isn't good enough uh, to to go out and really make some noise. 
even if you can eke out a wild card, are they good enough to make make noise and compete with teams like the Braves uh, or the Dodgers come October? I mean, yeah, they're 10 games out in the division. They're eight and a half out in the wild card. They're still nine games under 500 after a six-game winning streak. So, um, yeah, I mean, their August schedule is favorable. Uh, they have the Twins, the Rockies. They do go to the Rays. Um, Royals, the A's, the Mets, the Pirates. I mean, they've got some very winnable series in there. So maybe this isn't a situation where they're selling in the next week. Um, but those games that you mentioned at the end of the season, you know, they have seven against the Brewers in the last 10 days of the year. They close against the Reds. Will those games matter by September 18th is the question. So um, the fact that he came out and actually said we're going to be trading players, maybe, maybe the goal was to light a fire under the butts of his team. Uh, but I think, you know, barring something, some real big turnaround where they really make up some big ground, um, I, I do expect them to sell. And so where do you put the where do you put the Cubs in this conversation, their rivals, who are actually slightly ahead of them in the standings, but have a couple of very interesting potential trade pieces in Cody Ballinger, who's a free agent after this year, and Marcus Stroman, who can opt out after this year and could very well end up being the best starting pitcher available um, at the deadline. Where do you think they they fit into this? Uh, I think they trade both those guys. I, I don't, <laughs> barring an injury, I don't think it's a question of if Stroman opts out. I think he is opting out. I mean, he's having a great year. He's got a sub three ERA, uh, and he's basically doing everything that you could possibly want to do in a year where you have an opt out. His salary next year is actually less than his salary this year. So, um, I think he opts out. Bellinger's got a mutual option for 25 million that is not going to be picked up, uh, on his end, I would think, because he's going to look at having this nice bounce back year. Um, you know, mutual options are are almost never picked up because if the guy had a good year, the player's not going to want to exercise it. If the guy had a bad year, the team's not going to want to exercise it. So um, I see the two of them getting traded. Kyle Hendricks has an option. I think he could get traded. Um, so I think, you know, there are definitely opportunities there with a big outfield bat and a big starting pitcher for the Cubs to bring back some uh, some nice capital. The other thing to remember with Stroman, he can't be given a qualifying offer. He's already had one in his life. So uh, if he opts out, the Cubs get nothing for him. So, you know, I think it's the same thing, barring a really good week that pulls the Cubs within three or three and a half, four games of a playoff spot. Uh, I just think ultimately they will end up moving uh, those two guys. It's funny, you look at the standings. They're the only team in the Central with a positive run differential, um, and yet they're six games under 500. We're going to take another break, and then we'll come back and talk about some of the big buyers at this year's deadline, as well as the two big bubble teams. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. We're back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I am Matt Myers. Along with me is Mark Feinstein, MLB.com national reporter. We're talking all things trade deadline. We just talked about Otani. We talked about the big sellers. Now let's talk about the teams that are going to be the quote-unquote buyers at the trade deadline. And I think what's the, the interesting thing here is that 
there's not a lot of clear sellers. So it's kind of, they're all going to be kind of going after the same few guys. And they also, you know, as usual, it's a lot of teams that need pitching, right? And so we're going to hear a lot, we're going to hear a lot of the same names, but I'm kind of curious to see how you think some of this will, will play out. I think when we're talking about buyers. Um, for me, actually, the team that I think is the most interesting is the Orioles. I mentioned them before just because I feel like they're now in first place. I think they've arrived sooner than people expected. Granted, the they just the Rays have a much better run differential, so maybe there's a little bit of I don't want to say flukishness to it, but like when you're trying to evaluate overall team quality, the Rays might be a stronger team top to bottom. That said, Orioles are in first place. Their number one starter is Kyle Gibson right now. It's, they have one of the lowest payrolls in the game. It seems like they could and should try and go out and get one of these starters. To me, they're the one team that I feel like could feasibly and really could make a run at Otani. I don't know if they're, they're if that's their MO, though. Um, but then I mentioned you know, Dylan Cease before. They feel like the other obvious, that another team for a Cease or maybe even a Giolito, although I'm not sure Giolito really moves the needle for them that much. What, what do you think things stand with the Orioles? Uh, I think they definitely need to go out and get a starting pitcher, maybe even two. Uh, they probably need a little bit of help in the bullpen. Um, as good as those two guys have been at the back, they really don't have a whole lot of depth. I thought the Fujinami uh, acquisition was a really interesting one because even though you look at his overall numbers and they're certainly not uh, anything that, that stand out, uh, you know, since late May, he's actually you know been working as a, a sort of a swingman long man kind of guy and he's got like a 3.3 era in his last 20 outings uh and they really needed that sort of swing man long guy multi-inning guy um so i, I really liked that acquisition for what it what amounted to a you know not an impact triple a pitcher um you know but the question is like tyler wells having a really good year kyle bradish having a really good year uh you know dean kramer's having a really nice year uh gibson they need that guy at the top of the rotation they need that that game one starter to be able to throw out there um, and I think, you know, Giolito would be an interesting guy, um, you know, maybe a Stroman, somebody like that. Uh, I'd be surprised if the Orioles did not come out of the trade deadline with one, um, you know, I'm saying top, top, top level guy, but, but one guy who's clearly, you know, towards the top of their rotation and really, you know, sort of extends that depth um, for them. Uh, in addition to some bullpen help. And, and like I said about the Rays before, you know, the Orioles have already graduated a number of their um they're big prospects, right? We obviously Rutschman is is you know just all world. Um, you know Gunnar Henderson's having a really nice season. Overcame a slow start. He's been excellent. Um, you know they brought up Westberg. Uh, they brought up Kowser. Like you've seen some guys, and yet they still are loaded. They have so many prospects that other teams would love to have on their rosters um, that they have the prospect capital to do it. I, I, we, you and I talked about this in the offseason. I was really hoping that the Orioles would have made a little more noise in free agency because I loved what they did last year. I thought they were a real team on the rise. And Mike Elias talked in the offseason about how exciting it was to finally have some money to spend and be a factor in free agency. And then they just, you know, Kyle Gibson was their big free agent signing. Uh, I would like to see them now do this. Now that you've, you've had another half a season or more than half a season, you're in position, you're in first place. Um, I mean, they've got the best record in the American League. Who, who would have seen that coming on July 21st? Uh, so I think they're in a position where they have no reason not to go for it because you can go for it and trade some prospects and still be in really good position with your young roster and your farm system. Um, so I, you know, if they were to put together a package for Otani, it would be fascinating. I don't know if they're willing to do that, but um, it would be really awesome to see. 
And then, of course, there's the, the Dodgers, who are now back in first place. And, you know, Kershaw's on the IL. There's, you know, there's Urias has not been great. So it feels like they'd also be in the market for a starting pitcher. But, like, it's, I mean, where are they? Again, I heard Jack Flaherty mentioned in with them. He's, a, he's you know, an L.A. guy that if the Cardinals decide to sell, that, that might be a fit there. Like, what are you hearing on the Dodgers? Well, I know they have interest in Giolito, like every other team that needs a starting pitcher. Um you know, Montgomery, Flaherty, there are arms out there to be had. Uh, and I would be stunned if the Dodgers didn't get at least one of them, if not two of them. I mean, Kershaw is hurt again. Arias, like you say, has got five ERA this year. Gonfalon's been good. But top to bottom, their rotation's been a bit of a mess. And, you know, you're, I, you have to give all the credit in the world to Andrew Friedman, his front office, and to Dave Roberts. The fact that this team is in first place with the starting rotation that it's had this year uh, is a testament to to what everybody else on the roster has been able to do. The Dodgers know that ultimately they're going to have to go through the Braves uh, if they want to get where they want to go. And that Braves lineup is not going to be easy for any rotation to handle. So um, I do expect the Dodgers to, you know, to go out and get themselves some starting pitching, probably some relief pitching as well. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of holes in the, um, you know, in the lineup that they need to address. You've got a, a power packed lineup, you know, with J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, Muncie having a really nice ba- bounce back here. You know, Will Smith still a, a force behind the plate. So this team doesn't need to go out and, and trade for, uh, you know, a big bat. There, there would be some working around the margins like there always is. Um, but I think this is a team that, that knows it needs to get some starting pitching. The other first t- place team that's really fascinating to me is the Rangers. They've they spent big to get to this position. Um, been a bit of a surprise how well they played, at least to me, I think to a lot of people. But they're here now. And they've been so aggressive to this point, you'd have to think they would continue to be aggressive to try and make sure. I'm still of the mind that the Astros are still going to win that division, but I feel like the next two weeks will kind of determine that, where depending on what kind of um, moves that both those these teams make. So I kind of be curious to ask you about those two teams together, the Astros and the Rangers, and are, are the Rangers going to be as aggressive as some might think they will be, and how might the Astros respond? You know, it's interesting because you've got – with both of those teams, you've got two GMs who have never had a trade deadline before. Um, you know, Chris Young was working with John Daniels for several years and certainly was, you know, in the room for trade deadlines, but it's never been uh, until this year his call uh, in terms of what to do. Dana Brown, obviously a first-year GM in Houston. So uh, we don't really have a track record to go on with either of these guys when it comes to how they're going to handle the deadline. The Rangers were very aggressive. I, I too, am surprised. Not that they're having a good year. If you had told me before the year the Rangers were going to be in first place, I would have said, okay, that makes sense. If you had told me they did it without Jacob deGrom, uh, you know, with him making six starts and then being out for the year, that would have surprised me. Um, So the fact that they've been able to overcome that, obviously Nathan Evaldi, who was the guy I was pushing all winter to go to Baltimore, uh, I thought he was the perfect guy for the Orioles to sign because he wasn't going to cost $180 million. uh, And he's a veteran guy who's got postseason experience and, um, he's been nothing short of fantastic for Texas. Uh, we saw him in the all-star game and you just look at their, you know, their team as a whole. It's just a lot of guys having really, really good seasons. I think they need a little help in the bullpen. Uh, they brought in Chapman. That was a start. Uh, he's given, not given up a run in his first six appearances there. Um, but I think you'll see them go out, add to the bullpen a little more, um, probably add a starter if they can. Uh, Martin Perez has not been great. Andrew Haney's not been great. They've been okay. Um, but I think if you can add another decent starter at the top there, 
Uh, and I think John Gray went out with an injury. I think he got hit, getting hit with a bat of ball the other night. So uh, we'll see what that, how that impacts it. But uh, yeah, I think both these teams are going to get aggressive because they both know that the other one is probably going to do the same. Uh, and if you want to either hold on to win that division or come back to win that division, you're going to have to, you know, have to go out and do something. All right, before we get to the two big bubble teams, I want to ask you about two teams that are kind of battling for that last wild card spot in the National League, the Phillies and the Marlins. The Marlins were kind of the darlings of the season. They were in the, they were firmly entrenched in the wild card spot for a while. Now they're on the outside looking in. I mean, do you think they see themselves as a team that should make the playoffs this year and is going to behave as such and try and make aggressive moves to get into the playoffs? Are they just going to kind of ride it out and be like, hey, let's see what happens. It's been a good year, but we don't want to burn too much of our prospect capital here. I don't know if they look at it that they should make the playoffs, but I think they should be looking at it that they have an opportunity to make the playoffs, which is not something that necessarily comes around for them uh, on an annual basis. I think Kim Ang will be, um, I don't want to say aggressive, let's say responsibly aggressive, if that makes sense. Uh, I think if there's a trade to be had, she's not going to be afraid to make it. Um, I don't think you'll see them give up their uh, you know their big young talent because a team like Miami knows that it needs that affordable, controllable talent to be able to sustain anything over a, a long period of time. Um, but I, I don't think she's going to shy away from the opportunity. Remember, she came up as the assistant GM with the Yankees. That was certainly not a team that shied away from making moves. And then she was with the Dodgers, another team that was not shy from making moves. So she, you know, she came up under some GMs who. Uh, you know, got aggressive at the trade deadline and 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 saw when there was an opportunity to uh, to get to the postseason. Those don't you know you have to you have to treasure those, and you really need to do something with those. You owe it to your team and your fan base to you know to try to bolster that that roster in order to get there. Um, you know, they need a bat. There's no question. I mean, if the Cardinals were ever to make Goldschmidt available, I could see that being something they would try to do because even though he makes a lot of money next year, it's only a one year commitment beyond this year, so you're not signing on for somebody who's got four five six years of big money coming their way um but i do think they will they will try to upgrade the offense somewhere third base is a spot they could certainly upgrade um so i think that's one thing they would look at the phillies dave dombrowski is an aggressive guy in general right we've seen him go for it at the deadline many times um but we've also seen him assess his teams very well the the one trade that always stands out to me when i think about dave dombrowski uh, in 2014, the Tigers were three and a half games, I believe, out of a playoff spot. And they were a couple games under 500. Uh, and he traded David Price away. And people said, how could you trade your ace away um, You know, with a year left of control when you're only three and a half games out of a playoff spot? And I think Dombrowski said, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know that this team was built to go far in October. And uh, there was an opportunity for us to get some players that we really liked. And we did it. Um, I think he understands how to assess his team. I think obviously the the experience of having snuck in as a third wild card last year uh, and then made a run to the World Series uh, gives him you know some recent experience of knowing that if all you need to do is get there and if you have a team you think can make a run, you can make a run. So I would expect the Phillies to add um, you know somewhere along the way here. All right, before we go, the last two teams I want to talk about are kind of the two big bubble teams, which I think are probably the two teams that most have seen as the most disappointing in baseball this year, the Padres and the Mets. They're basically in the same place in the standings in the National League. They probably have no chance at winning their respective divisions. Maybe could sneak into a wild card, but they have a lot of teams to pass ahead of them. Do you think either of these teams will sell? (laughs) Can I just say I don't know? Uh, No, I think... um... (sighs) 
I would say the Padres are less likely to sell. Uh, for, let me preface this. I think a lot of this will depend on what happens in the next eight, nine days. Um, if either of them can inch closer, you know, the Mets right now, or as we speak, are seven games out of a wild card. The Padres are six and a half games out of a wild card. So if they can get that down to three, three and a half, four, I don't think either of them sell because uh, you know these teams were put together to win the World Series. These teams have a lot of talent, and if they're able to have a good eight days or ten days and get themselves back into that mix where it's realistic that they can get into the playoffs, these two teams just need a ticket to the dance, and it doesn't matter what seed they are. It doesn't matter home, away, whatever it is. They have enough talent to make it happen, right? If if you get Scherzer and Verlander pitching well with Senga behind them and uh, you know, and you get Lindor and Alonzo and Marte and Nimmo and, uh, you know, Canna and, and hitting, and you've got a couple guys in the bullpen, and Robertson's been outstanding uh, for them. That's a team that can make noise in the playoffs. Same thing with the Padres. If, you've go, if you're going into a short series with Blake Snell, Hugh Darvish, and Joe Musgrove, uh, and you've got Josh Hader closing games for you, and you've got Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado and, and Xander Bogarts in your lineup and everything's clicking – that's a team that could win the World Series. The question is, are they going to put themselves in a position to get there? So I think these are the two teams that are going to wait the longest because they know, the Padres in particular, um, they know that if they do decide to sell, and even if they don't make that decision until July 30th, they're going to have teams lining up to try to get Blake Snell. Uh, they're, he's a free agent. He's going to be a huge acquisition for somebody if he gets traded. Josh Hader, same thing. Um, so I think, you know, if you if you're potentially going out there with the best starting pitcher on the market and the best closer on the market, uh, it's not going to take a whole lot of time for offers to come flooding in for those guys. Juan Soto is the interesting one. He's got one year left. I don't know whether AJ Preller is willing to move him or not, but again, he may say, well, if I can recoup all that prospect capital that I gave up to get him and he's only got one year left now and this didn't work well for us. Uh, maybe Soto gets moved as well. The Mets don't have as many obvious trade candidates. Scherzer and Verlander aren't getting moved with $43 million salaries and uh, you know potentially the same for next year. Um, and they don't have a whole lot of uh, real intriguing free agents. Alonzo's got one more year of arbitration. They're not trading him. Carrasco's going to be a free agent. David Robertson would certainly be moved. Uh, you know, Ken is a guy, he's got an option. He would probably be moved. Um, but I, you know, Tommy Pham, absolutely. Tommy Pham could get moved whether they buy or sell or do nothing just because he is a free agent at the end of the year. He's having a really nice season uh, and, and they might be able to recoup something for him uh, rather than just letting him walk at the end of the year. So I think these two teams are as undecided as it gets because of the position they're in and because of the amount of talent they have and the fact that if they get in, they can each they each have what it takes to make a run. See, Scherzer is kind of interesting to me because I would think because he's got that opt out, it's sort of weird. Where like I would think that if the Mets were willing to absorb some of the salary, that maybe there'd be a market for him. But I don't. I'm I'm kind of deferring to you there because I I sort of see him as kind of an X factor for that reason. But he also has the no trade clause, so we can kind of dictate where he goes. But the Dodgers seem like maybe if the Mets were willing to absorb some of the cost, as well as the Orioles, but like that's all like theoretical. Yeah, it is theoretical. And I, you know, he's having a, a, a good year, but not a great year. Um, you know, and, and the, 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 the option is tricky because if you take him on uh, in a trade, I mean, unless the Mets are really willing to absorb a lot of it, and I don't know how much Steve Cohen's willing to absorb. If he's pitching well enough for a contender to want him, the Mets would say, well, why wouldn't we keep him and, 
you know, try to do this again next year. Um, the no trade gives puts it all in Scherzer's hands in terms of where he can go. Um, I don't know what his experience was in LA last year. Uh, whether they would whether they would want him back at that kind of salary, whether he would want to go back there. Uh, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of his experience there well enough uh, to say whether or not he would be amenable to that. Um, but I think it's a very limited number of teams that could trade for him because of both the salary and his no trade clause. Um, I mean, obviously, if Steve Cohen's willing to pay down that salary significantly, that would open it up a little bit. But then the teams that might want him might not be teams that he's willing to go to. I want to go back to one thing you said about the Padres before we go. You mentioned the point about recouping some of the prospects that they've traded away. And that's what's interesting to me about them is, like you said, they have Snell, they have Hayter, pending free agents who would give them bring back some good prospects. And obviously, Soto would bring back a haul with a year and a half left before he hits free agency. I mean, A.J. Preller's kind of a – he's a wheeler and dealer. So I, I do wonder if maybe there's this thought of they just trade away those guys, knowing that, hey, there's not a lot of starting pitching out there. Snell would get, would bring back a lot. And just be, we can reset. We're still a young roster. We can still do this next year. You know, that's sort of like – Grant Preller's been so all in for years now, but I do wonder if like maybe there's a little bit of like, hey, I can sort of zig while everyone else is zagging and maybe kind of recoup some products. Right now their 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 farm system's kind of kind of threadbare and this could be a way to sort of reboot re, reboot a little bit going into twenty twenty four. Yeah, I mean it's it's not a crazy concept. I that's why I think this goes to July thirtieth or thirty first before they make a decision because he has been all in. He has been in it to win it from the you know from the get go these last few years. Um and while the prospects are not great at the moment, they've also got a pretty young team and, and guys locked in all over the place, right? I mean, you look at this team going forward, Cronenworth locked in there at first base. You know, Kim is signed for a couple more years. Tatis is signed, you know, forever. Manny Machado is signed forever. Bogarts is signed forever. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got a lot of, of guys locked into your roster uh, and your starting position for a while. Um, so if there is the thought that they're going to be able to get in uh, to the playoffs, I think they look at it and say, we're as good as any- if, we're, if we're playing well down the stretch and we can get into the playoffs, we're as good as anybody. Uh, and, you know, there's not a team out there that's going to be able to throw a Snell, Darvish, Musgrove, one, two, three at us uh, that's going to be better than us. I mean, you might have a team that might be as good as them. Ironically, the Mets, if they're clicking on all cylinders, or sure as if Erlander Senga might be that team. Um, but, uh, you know, if the Padres think that they have a chance to get there, I think they're going to think they have a chance to, to to actually do something there. So, you know, they've got three coming up against the Pirates. Um, actually, I guess they play the Tigers and the Pirates their next six. So all of a sudden, a good week against them, uh, and you're putting yourself in position to uh, to close that gap to the wild card. They come out of the out of the trade deadline. They're playing the Rockies. Then they have big series. Dodgers, Mariners, D-backs, Orioles. That's a real big stretch for them as well. So I don't know. I think if he finds himself seven or eight games out of a playoff spot, then I think that that approach you're talking about could certainly come into play. But I think if there's a if there's a feeling there that they have a chance to get to the playoffs, um, they've just done too much to put themselves in position to try to make a run that I don't know that he'd be willing to can that idea. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time and for your insight. I really hope you get some uh, some sleep between now and uh, August 2nd. Matt, you know that's not going to happen, so why would you even wish me that? That's just uh, giving me false hope. It's okay. Plenty of time to rest in August. 
That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.